Say that again. He, he plays pretty much one chord. Yeah, incredible, right? Yeah, it is. I kept listening for changes. That's called getting the most out of one chord. Yeah, I guess it is. Geez, I never realized that before. I guess I never really listened to it that hard. That's amazing. Yeah, he doesn't change. That's Blind Joe Taggart. We're back here on the Old Time Radio Show with our buddy Don Kent. Came back for some more. Thanks, Don. What's up, mm-hmm. Don? Well, you wanted to hear about... Uh, I want to hear more stories. All right. uh, About the cool life and times of Don Kent. They weren't that cool. Oh, yeah, they were. (laughs) (laughs) They were cool as far as you were collecting old records. It was pretty cool. That's that's the only perspective we have here on the Old Time Radio Show. I was lucky there weren't that many people collecting blues records then and certainly not willing to pay a lot of money for them, although $8 is not a lot of money in, in 1964. It was a it was a lot of money to pay for a blues record. Oh sure, um, and you would think that they would go for more, but even only only jazz records went for a lot of money, and even then, not that much. 
not mm. that much. Um, some did. Some rare records like Hightower's Nighthawks on Black Patty and certain, uh, like Jimmy, what the Jimmy Bertrand Vocalions, they went for a lot of money even then. You know, we, we, probably the equivalent of like $1,000 today, easy. Mm. But blues records, now I remember looking through uh, old record finders, which was a magazine. I saw, I once saw Charlie Patton there, like E minus Dirt Road, dollar fifty minimum. Ooh, this was the fifties. It was before my time. Ooh, yeah, but uh, you could hardly, you know, jazz collectors often left blues records behind. Um, I understand when. Uh, uh, John Hammond and a bunch of other collectors got into the Paramount distributorship on 14th Street. There were like uh, boxes and boxes of just mint Paramounts and probably patents, which they left. What do you mean they left? They, they just... left. I, you know, who cared about Charlie Patton? Most oh. people didn't know who he was. He took all the jazz records, maybe some Blind Lemons, maybe some Blakes, you know. Because they were, they had an idea who they were, but all all that stuff, nah, nah, they they didn't take, they didn't bother taking the, the blues records. But okay, we can go back to when I was working at Jazz Record Mark. Yeah, that's what I want to hear about the cool days. How old are you now when you're working in Chicago at the Jazz Record? All right, Mark? I'm uh, 19 years old. Okay. Hadn't even, hadn't even heard Charlie Patton yet. Hadn't heard Charlie Patton. No, and I let two Pattons get away from me right under my nose. Really? Yeah. Uh, on one of his early auctions, he had a copy of uh, Screaming and Hollering mm. by the Mass Marvel. Fantastic. And he graded a G plus, And it, later on, I found it was a good V. And it went for $14. Wow. And I didn't even bother to hear it. And I think he, you know... It went to Paul Garrett, and then uh, he had a cop. The at that time, it was the best. He had the best copy of Peavine. Of course, nobody knew it was the best copy, but it was a good copy. And uh, he had promised it to Paul. And I remember that summer, you know, Paul said, "Gee, you promised me that record. You know, send it to me, and I'll pay you." And that went for twenty-five dollars. Wow! And he packed it himself. He didn't. Want, I was doing. I was packing seventy-eights. You know because we had a mail-order business and he sent out catalogs and we had uh, a lot of um, R&B records and post-war blues. He had bought the United uh, Distributing Company's stock, or United Records, all, all the records they had uh, made. He had like a box of Robert Nighthawks, Moon is Rising, which he sold like, you know, I think they were $3 a piece to start and then they went up to five bucks later. Hmm. So I was doing uh, um, shipping and hand, you know, behind the counter doing retail and all that, and I got to know Big Joe Williams, who came who came up frequently to St. Louis or from Crawford, Mississippi, and he'd always stay in Chicago if he didn't have a girlfriend. I'd always stay in Chicago at Kester's store in the basement hmm. uh, if he didn't have a girlfriend to stay with. And he came up several times a year, sometimes to do recording, sometimes just to see what was happening, try and get some work. Things were slow in St. Louis. And I remember coming in one day, and uh, Kester says to me, 
you got a lot of stuff to do you know a lot of rec a lot of orders came in he says but big joe's in the basement he's sleeping he just got in you know like about a couple hours ago he drove all the way from mississippi non-stop and so you know try and and be quiet i said okay bob <laughs> so i went downstairs and the shipping table was uh about maybe 10 15 feet from this cot that joe was sleeping on there was an overhead light so you didn't you know, joe didn't get the light directly on him but you know so i was you know i crept past him and i started packing things and i heard joe making noise and i looked over and i said oh my god i looked and there was this great big rat on his stomach now <laughs> i had seen mice but i had never seen a rat before in kester's basement and I got, you know, I got psyched. I said, oh, geez, what if he, you know, wakes Joe up or, or bites him or something? So I was looking around, and there was like a, you know, a wooden stick, like part of a two-by-four. And I said, I'll see if I can't just knock him off, you know, get him away from Joe so, so you know, nothing happens to Joe. Because I like Joe. He was a good guy, you know. We got along very well. So I, I crept over there as quietly as I could, and I pulled back. You know, I, I reared back on the stick. I was just ready to hit him, and I look. I said, "Jesus, it's his dick!" <laughs> so uh, oh, man. I went back to packing records. Thank God! Thank God you realized it before you swung. Yeah, I know. Oh, I, you, you, Joe, you Joe guys wouldn't have been friends too much longer. No, no. When 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 Joe was angry, he was mean, and and he'd <laughs> well. take out his pocket knife and threaten to cut you. Uh, he got mean sometimes when he was drinking peppermint schnapps. Well, 
she done done me wrong. Women, how to keep your man at home? Now oh, you can squeeze a lemon woman and roll him all night long. Yeah, mama don't lie, no. And then he started reiterating all the wrongs he thought were done to him, including how Kester must have been withholding royalties from all the records he sold. <laughs> I mean, Joe was working fairly steadily. He was working at, you know, he was doing some things in St. Louis in black clubs, but he was doing more white stuff when he came up to uh, to Chicago. In fact, they had. What do you mean he was playing pop music? No, no, songs? he was he was still playing in taverns in parts of St. Louis, but when he came up to Chicago, he was doing folk music scenes. Really, folk music. Well, yeah, I mean, just was like uh, Josh White and people like that. No, he wasn't doing folk music. He was on the. He oh, was doing. I got you. There was a place called the he Fickle. Was on the folk music circuit, yeah. doing and he was music. doing what okay. he was doing. Thank God. Uh, he was. There was this place called the Fickle Pickle where I saw Walter Vincent. Oh yeah. Really? Oh yeah. Wow. And he played very well. He didn't he didn't play as fast as he used to, but he could still play. Yeah. Well, that, that album from the you know the the new Mississippi Sheiks, whatever. Yeah. Sounds good on there. Yeah, he's good, but he was good good by himself. Uh, and I saw uh, jazz. And was he doing sheiks and stuff, or what was he doing? Oh, he was doing sheiks. He was. He was doing. He did. I remember the first time I heard it. He was doing. He did sitting on top of the world. He did my pencil won't write anymore. No kidding. Wow. Uh, I don't remember if he did stop and listen though. Um, but I saw Jazz Gillum, Washboard Sam. You know, we had a regular, uh, like every other week, we'd have a blues singer either from. Chicago or somebody, you know, like I think Estes played there, but Big Joe would play there regularly. And, you know, it. we got the use, we didn't have to rent the space because, you know, the idea was that if this was an open night, so they could sell drinks, you know, and that would be what we were charged. You know, but we didn't always get it like a full house. Right. right. Uh, but it was okay because, you know, and Joe would pay, play there fairly regularly. Sometimes he played. And what would those guys make like back then, like to play? Oh, to play for a night? Yeah. Uh, probably not much. Maybe fifteen bucks. Really, that little. Yeah, one. that little, that little. But that was like a week's pay, a minimum wage. No, not even right. That's like. A no, it was like maybe a day's pay. Wow. But That's it was tough. all right. It was better than nothing, you know. Yeah, yeah. And. Uh, but you had to play a lot to make any kind of money at that rate, right? Well, yeah, but that isn't all. You did sometimes if you did. If they you all did, had part-time things they did. Yeah, that was part-time. You know, like uh, they played in a tavern, they could probably make fifty bucks, maybe twenty-five to fifty bucks. <laughs> if they came up a recording session, that was three hundred bucks. That's that was a fair money, right? Fair right. amount of money. That was like probably more than they'd make uh, doing taverns, you know, or, or, or small clubs. And Joe was good. He used to have fish fries 
at Kester's. Oh, yeah. Yeah, great, great catfish. And uh, he'd make a big bucket, a bucket of uh, tomatoes and okra. Oh, really? Uh, Yeah, which was how I learned how to eat okra, which I learned about okra. I had no idea such a thing as okra existed before. I eat okra all the time, but I never had it with tomatoes. Like, how, How did he make it? Oh, well, he just put them together. I mean, what, uh, what do you mean? Just put them in a bucket and mixed it up? No, no. I mean, they were cooked. Yeah, yeah. And then he just mixed. I don't know if he cooked them together or if he just put the tomatoes in a bucket. And Sounds good. Up. That's why I'm it is. It's it is good. And you know, I I was first kind of like I had to get used to okra because when you just if you don't bread it and fry it, it's kind of you know it's a little s- slimy. I oh, guess. Oh yeah, absolutely. But yeah. it's still good, and I got used to it because I. Did, at first, I didn't, you know, when I first had it, I had to eat it because I didn't want to, you know, uh, embarrass Joe or, you know. And I decided later on I liked it, so whenever he had it, I had it. Yeah, yeah. That reminds me of another culinary story. Okay. I was in um, Shelby County. I was uh, trying to record this, uh, which I did eventually, but the tapes got stolen. By I think by Bank Dolson. Um, I was staying with him. I was visiting him, and he said, "Well, if, you know." I visiting could, Joe? No, this is not Big Joe. This is a guy named Lincoln Jackson. Okay. I don't know if you ever heard of him. No. But he was uh, he was a great blues singer in that part of Tennessee, just out just out near Brunswick, Tennessee. But he had injured his hand. He could only play in basketball. And he used to play with Frank Stokes, which is amazing because he played nothing like Frank Stokes. He played more, almost more like a Mississippi guy. Really? Huh. Yeah. And I stayed with him, and I was staying at one of the worst motels I ever stayed at. It was like, you know, uh, it, it should have been called Insects United because there were, <laughs> you know. Uh, I remember going into the bathroom, and the and the tub was like full of spiders and centipedes and oh, you know flying things and okay. I just said well I'm not going to take a bath obviously and he said well why don't you stay with me I said oh, okay that that's fine I'd love to you know so I stayed with him for a couple of days I remember once uh, I got really piss ass drunk because he he had he was like the local liquor store uh-huh. I mean he you were miles away from anything I think you were like about 15 miles from Memphis there were no big towns in this area and I think it might even been dry that part that the county might have been dry outside of Memphis so people would come over and drink booze and I remember I got horribly I woke up with the worst hangovers I ever had on gin and I was on his front porch with my head in my hands and he says here drink this and I said what is it he says gin and I said ah and he said no no it's the hair of the dog the picture so I drank it and I felt fine you know <laughs> <laughs> but I stayed with him, and one night I was there, and his brother's wife, who lived next door, would come over and uh, give him, make him dinner. Obviously, he didn't. I don't think he made dinner very much himself. It was just sandwiches. So I'm sitting there, and he was like, I was on one side of the room, and he was on the other side of the room, and it looks like she gave him uh, a bowl of pasta, and I said, Oh, pasta, and he says, Oh, would you like some? I said, Yeah, sure good so she says get, get him get him a bowl so I get up off the chair move over I sit at the table she brings me this bowl of chitlins and oh boy they didn't smell like they were clean very good and I had never had chitlins and I looked at them I knew what they were 
And I said, oh my God. Fortunately, I had bought, bought a bottle of uh, Jack Daniels. So, and there was a big container of hot sauce. You know, it wasn't Tabasco, but it was hot sauce. So I was doing, I was eating this like really repulsive meal, <laughs> which, you know, I asked for it. I didn't want to insult him or, or his, you know, his brother's wife. And I take, cut a little piece and I chew it and chew it and chew it and it, it didn't taste like very much except put a lot of hot sauce on it, took a drink of Jack Daniels <laughs> and I managed to eat the whole thing. But it was awful and then I, then I went to back to New York and I said, that can't be possibly what chitlins taste like. Right. So I went to this soul food restaurant called Jack's Nest and I said, give me, a bowl, give me some chitlins. They brought me chitlins, it was the same thing except it didn't smell as bad but it sure t- didn't taste any different. And I said, well, I'm never going to eat chitlins again. <laughs> That's for sure.
was a that my other culinary story. That's funny. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Um, but he was a great musician. I uh, wish I would have seen him. He had a great song called Up the River and uh, another song called uh, Money Tree. Oh, I don't know, it was called If You See My Fairbound and another song called Big Fat Mama, which was issued uh, in Europe, I think from my tapes. Is it the same Big Fat Mama as like Tommy Johnson or Charlie Spann? No, no, yeah. completely different arrangement, but the same, you know, same, same lyrics. similar lyrics. You know, Big Fat Mama shaking yeah, on a bone. Be here. But uh, he was unique. Uh, well, he, he, he played in basketball because when he had injured his hand, he had an infection and he waited because, you know, he didn't have enough money to go to the doctor. He went to the doctor, something had gone wrong with his finger, couldn't bend it. It was like another guy I found named uh, um, Fortune Anthony. I found this guy in Rustburg, Virginia. He was a guitar, guitar player. He used to play with Luke Jordan. No kidding. <laughs> uh, but he also worked as a railroad man. Hmm. And what happened is that he was holding a spike and he got hit. Oh, wow. So what happened is this knuckle went down and came out oh. the other side. So he could only play in E, only E, because he only needed two fingers to do, you know, but he, he and he could use his little finger somewhat right, to make, right. to, but he couldn't use this finger at all, so his B7, he, you know, he only played like on the, you know, first and third strings, and then went back to the bass, but he was a good guy, he knew some interesting songs that I had never heard before. Huh. Um, and this other guy named Willie Dickerson, who lived in, uh, Coolwell, Virginia, and he, um, he lived in a hole in the ground. It was like a little cave, which he had dug out, and uh, he, he used to play, and he played in uh, an open tuning, which he called Cross C, and I think it was some kind of open E tuning, but he was also very good, and I tried to... Cross C. Yeah. Cross C, that's what he called it. I have no idea what he was doing at that time. I wasn't, hmm. I wasn't a good guitar player at all. Just bar- you know, just barely could play, you know, maybe like half a dozen songs or something. But um, he was a good guy, and he had a style like nothing I ever heard. But I went back every time I went back afterwards, uh, thinking maybe I could get him to record. He was always smashed. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, what he did, he lived in a hole ground because whatever money he got, he spent on liquor. And half the, you know, I just happened to get him one time when he was sober. Hmm. And that, that's too bad. Because he, I would have loved to record him. He did a couple songs. They were like nothing I ever heard. They didn't sound anything like Virginia songs. They sounded like, you know, one of these weird guys from Alabama or Mississippi, you know, who just had their own style. Almost like Skip James, but... And you said you did record him, but the tapes were missing? No, no, I didn't record him. I wanted to record him. Uh, I got, I still have some tapes, I think, someplace of um, Fortune Anthony. And I I have tapes of this woman who learned guitar from her father who who played bottleneck. Her name was T. Robinson. She lived in in Rustburg also. Uh, She did about six songs for me. Because at one point I was going to put out, uh, you know, live music, but... Never made enough, quite enough money uh, to do that. Hmm. Uh, partially because I, I, I spent it doing, uh, doing all these trips on research. 
I went to Alabama twice to, to do Ed Bell research. Um, I wish I had spent uh, more time in Alabama because um, that's certainly some of the most unique players came from there, but it seems like you could always find somebody unique who played nothing like the styles that you were familiar with hmm. if you if you went out in the backwoods. But I didn't, you know, it's, everything was done on a shoestring. In fact, um, one reason the tapes, I still have tapes, but I hope that, I don't know if they're any good anymore, they're all Radio Shack tapes because that was all I could afford. They weren't, you know, like really good tapes. But maybe some some of them. There's a possibility I can get maybe Bob West. You know who Bob West is? No. Uh, he has this little label, Arcola Records, out on out in Seattle, Washington. And every once in a while, he he issues a uh, a record. He did. There's a record out. He did from uh, of Henry Townsend from the '60s. And there's a record he did with. Uh, this guy from Jackson or Natchez. Ooh, I can't remember his name right now. I'll probably think of it tomorrow. But he puts out, he puts out occasional records. He and they're they're quite decent records. Things all recorded in the sixties. Well, you should bring me those tapes. You know, I, I could transfer them for you. Or I don't even know. They have to be baked, probably. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Cause that they've been sitting they've been sitting on a shelf for. More than 30 years, most of them. Huh. This was all done in the 70s. Uh, the, stu the stuff I recorded. I've been thinking of just having them, you know, like, uh, baked and transferred to a CD because the music shouldn't get lost. Yeah, let me ask around. I, uh, I might know somebody who can do that for you. you know? I used to know somebody who did that. This guy, Carl Seltzer, he ran a recording studio. He uh, did a lot of recording on... For UB Blake, he was a good engineer. He was a good engineer. Well, I know a lot of audio guys. So let me ask around. Yeah, tell I'd, me. I'd love to put that stuff out myself. Well, we'll see what we can do. We can yeah. listen to it. A lot of it, like Fortune Anthony. But I'd like to hear it no matter what. Yeah, no, no. It's a Fortune Anthony. I'd like to hear him. He was uh, kind of different, but a lot of a lot of his stuffs were padded to. I'll see what I got. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll start asking around. Okay. All right. So you got another record in that box? Yeah, of, I, uh, got, I got. I uh, got uh, treasures. I got a sweet little girl. She really don't mean me no good for so long. Oh, so long. Baby, so long She got so dirty So low down She had to leave the neighborhood For so long Oh, so long Baby, so long I know She don't love me I can tell the old low down way she do for so long, oh so long, baby so long. You called me to be here, and this is the old low down way she do for 
for so long, oh so long, baby so long. Don't you never get tired of, baby treat me like a dog for so long, oh so long, baby so long. I've been your little puppy ever since I rented your door for so long, oh so long, baby so long. I'm going to the nation, the next and the territory for so long, oh so long. Baby, so long So won't you love me, oh sweet baby You won't see poor boy no more For so long, oh so long Baby, so long Now won't you tell me, sweet baby What's really gonna become a poor me for so long, oh so long, baby so long You treat me so dirty You just as mean as you can be For so long, oh so long, baby so long Nice ending. Yeah, it is. I like that so much, I'm going to play the other side. Yeah, the other side's good too. Boy, you know you sing to your guitar, but I makes mine sing itself. Well, let's try it out a little bit, sis. When I first come here, baby, you were strolling from hand to hand. When I first come here, baby, you were strolling from hand to hand. Says I've been your little dog now, ever since I've been your man. time, baby, any old place you go, and if you're doing very well, baby, now, you better have let that do.
sing, baby. I'm on my last go round here. Mmm, baby. I'm on my last go round. If you tell me don't want me, baby, now I'm surely gonna blow this town. Now I'm going to play you one of my new acquisitions. Okay. I don't blame you. <laughs> Funny how that happens. Shows the sunset in the golden wind. 
that's nice to hear that. Not bad. No, it's a good record. Not bad for collecting in 2012. No, it's uh, quite exceptional. Really. It's, it's grainy, but... It plays okay. You, there's, you can tell there's a little, the, the surface is that, you know, there's surface noise, but not bad at all. Yeah. Certainly worth having. You want to hear a country record? Sure. Go fiddling John himself now with moonshine cake. Look out, here she comes. <laughs> This uh, Kansas City blues strummers you asked for. Yeah, no, I like. You want to hear Broken Bed Blues? Either side, man, 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 it doesn't matter. Okay. I'd rather last night my bed was falling down. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> Thank you. 
That's my kind of band. It's good. Where did that come from? Is that crumbs? What's that? Is that a crumb thing? Yeah, the Hellhound on my trail. Yeah. Yeah, it's some uh, print that I got. Oh, it's print. Well, it's good. It's nice, right? Yeah. Yeah, didn't I? A lot of the stuff is new. I hadn't seen this. Any it's, idea uh, who those guys are? Yeah, I know exactly who they are. Who are they? Mobile Strugglers. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, when I got my Mobile Strugglers record, that photo fell out of the sleeve. No, you know, on a postcard. Ah, oh, Couldn't believe it. Unbelievable. Yeah. That's, that's neat. I'm going to play you on Uncle Tom Collins. Chicken You Can't Roost Too High for Me. A little racist, but, you know. Mm -hmm. What can what you, you do? It was the period. Yeah. <laughs> Chicken, he called me a nigger. Don't allow no foul to do that. I surely would have killed him right on the spot, but he wasn't very fat. He's got the yellow-legged brother. I think they call him Shanghai. There's going to be trouble with the fowls tonight if they don't roost too high. Well, a chicken, chicken, go up in a big balloon. Well, a chicken, chicken, better roost behind the moon. Well, this chicken, chicken, ain't you never gonna see ten thousand dollars for the chicken that can roost too high for me. Chicken, he tried to bite me, such nerve I never did see. I guess he would have succeeded, but my brother stepped on his wing. I'm gonna kill that chicken, trying to kill him if I die. Trying to cut off his nose, trying to cut off his toe, trying to make him in a chicken pie. Well, chicken, chicken, go up in a big balloon. Well, chicken, chicken, better roost behind the moon. Well, Chicken, chicken, ain't you never going to see Ten thousand dollars for the chicken that can roost too high for me Well, I went down to my gal's house, said I want some chicken stew. Said she, a Mr. Nigger, I believe I'd like some too. She reached behind the door, pulled out a croaker sack. Said she, don't you never come here no more, lest you bring a chicken back. Well, well, it's chicken, chicken, go up in a big balloon. It's chicken, chicken, better roost behind the moon. Well, it's chicken. Chicken, ain't you never gonna see ten thousand dollars for the chicken that can roost too high for me? You heard Frank Stokes' version of that.
Yeah, well, if you can't afford uh, the Beale Street Sheiks, you know, you can have Uncle Tom Collins. That's not bad. But you got more records over there? Uh, I might have something else. Let's see. I think you had that, uh, that Hawaiian record that was interesting, right? Oh, yeah. I got that. I got the Sloppy Henry. Oh, God. We got to play that. Maybe we should save that for the end. Okay. Sure. Okay. Uh, the Hawaiian record. That's a record that kind of grows on you. That record gets better every time you hear it. Oh, okay. All right, I'm, I'm going to play one more country record here. Then I'm going to ask you uh, about a story I want you to tell me, and then we'll play your uh, last record. Oh, what story is that? Well, we'll get to that right after this. Okay. This is my uh, Jess Johnson record Ah. with uh, Roy Harvey on guitar. That's ah. uh, very, very nice. Thank you. 
fiddle like that I would play fiddle all the time plays better than it looks actually a lot of music on there the other side's no, uh, somebody else very good okay so I want to ask you about your uh, encounters with uh, Sun House oh okay well the first time I saw Sun House I think it was in January 1965 he played at the University of Chicago it was just after he had been rediscovered. How many people go to a show like that? Well, that was actually very well attended. That's good. Yeah, uh, and it was notable for me, not only for Sun House, who was absolutely great. I don't think he ever played. He might have played better before that or after that, but I never saw him play as well as that again. It's like wow. it was like the 1942 Library Congress sessions. Wow. And it, it was just amazing. He had all this... His voice was great. His guitar playing was excellent. I mean, hmm. just unbelievable. And um, it was astonishing. But notable, noticeable to me was that little Walter was there. He didn't play, but he was there. and he But he played guitar. Really? He, yeah. He was a good guitar player. He's huh. the second guitar on Honeybee, if you know that record by Muddy Waters. Yeah, okay. But he wasn't noted for playing guitar, but he could play guitar very well. And uh, I was with Pete Welding, one of the editors of Downbeat, and there was talk about recording him, but I think he got killed not long afterwards. He right? got and shot? Or? Something. He was in some kind of fight, some kind of brawl. Right, right. Uh, and I, I don't know if it just didn't happen or... But I'm pretty sure he got killed not too long after, maybe six months. It just didn't just didn't work out that he got recorded with guitar, which we were both very interested in hearing more of. And then uh, I saw Sun House a couple years later, about three or four years later, uh, and he was on the decline. Uh, by that time, he had um, turned into pretty much an alcoholic right and uh, if you could get him sober he could still play somewhat 
but he just wanted his medicine and he was always trying to sneak out and buy booze and I remember once I was talking with Nick Pearl and he was telling me how difficult the sessions were with House and that he had to buy them liquor because House got the DTs you're talking about the Blue Goose sessions yeah, yeah, yeah. he says House got the DTs when he when he was away from his drink too 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 long and he kept Nick said he kept seeing flies and trying to go like you know waving his hand saying the flies the flies but uh, he would yeah, calm down true. after having a couple drinks and right. could play until he had too many drinks to continue right, right but actually the blue goose record isn't bad no i thought i thought it was good it was good it wasn't as good as uh, what was really good did you ever see the sessions that he did with Buddy Guitar and Second Guitar, the Studio 21 sessions or something? No, I don't they think were, I know those. They're, they're on uh, tape. I saw them. I've seen them. Huh. I was amazed. He was still playing well. I think it was like, maybe it was 1966. Hmm. Uh, and when, when did he do that Columbia session? Uh, he did that, I think... Was that after Blue Goose? No, it was before Blue Goose. That wasn't bad either. There's uh, a couple of really nice things in there. Yeah, his I, walking blues and that Perlene or yeah, Perlene. Yeah, Perlene's. Really I think nice that was before there. he had really degenerated because the more, the the more he pl- was touring, the more he drank, and, and I think the blue goose stuff was probably the last good stuff that he did. Even though he continued like for another year or so doing concerts, but he played about two so two, maybe two tunes two or three tunes and then he sometimes he'd sing a cappella and he'd tell stories but he wasn't uh, after the Blue Goose session he wasn't really together anymore but he was he was interesting, interesting did you ever uh, talk to him? yeah I talked to him he wasn't too crazy about Charlie Patton yeah you told me that yeah. no he thought Charlie Patton was uh, he said but a lot of guys thought that right? yeah a lot of guys thought that because when they saw him at the uh you know, like in a juke joint or something. Doing dance music. He was doing dance. Well, he was playing, but he wasn't. He wasn't giving it everything. He was sort of like, play. Sometimes was so noisy that all he could do, that all he did, was just beat the guitar to keep the beat. Yeah, but this is something I talk about all the time. You know, play, playing with my band. I, I mean, I could just tell you, like when we play a place that's quiet, you can play all kinds of stuff. Yeah. You can do whatever you want. And then we've played these places, these you know places that are Rockers. rowdy, yeah. and people are yelling, screaming. And a, a couple of times, you know, I just sat there and banged the guitar as loud as I could, and look around the room, and nobody, you know, hears nobody you. Or nobody, it doesn't, yeah. you know. As long so as they I, hear a beat, it's to hear something. Right. So, I mean, the way I, I picture it, that these guys were playing, like they just had to play as loud as possible, keep a beat for people who are dancing or whatever. I mean, there's no way. I mean, Patton, you know, at his best, was doing a lot of little subtle stuff. Oh, like, absolutely. It's not going to translate in those juke joints. Yeah, I told you when Sunhouse heard High Water Everywhere, he knew the song, but when he heard it, he was kind of flabbergasted. He said, I didn't know Charlie could play like that. <laughs> I, I don't know. Incredible. He was at the sessions, you know, with Willie Brown, but uh, and he must have heard Patton play before he went up there, so I'm surprised. I guess he just didn't remember Right, he, re- right. he was more likely to remember Patton just sort of like mailing it in or just, you know. And weren't you telling me yesterday about somebody else from that era that you talked to that said, also thought Patton couldn't play? Um, well, yeah, Honey Boy Edward thought, well, he didn't say Patton couldn't play, he said he played old style. Old style, right, right. Old style. 
And uh, which is he, true, you know. He was, yeah, it, it like is a, old He was style. a generation behind by the time he recorded. Yeah, and you know, he certainly, you know, Honey Boy probably was technically, in some ways, as far as chord positions, I'm sure were concerned, probably more advanced than Patton was. Well, it's like you were saying when you heard him do uh, what, what was the he the did one screaming and howling. I saw I heard him do some songs. And you I said you never heard it played better than that. I've never heard anybody play it better than that. I, I mean, it sounded just like Charlie Patton. And I told I, you the first time I heard him in that that same era where yeah. you heard him, he did a version of Pony Blues that stunned me. I couldn't believe it because I, in the recordings and stuff, I never heard Honey Boy uh, play that well. I mean, it was ridiculous. No, I remember the, I went to see him. He was playing up here in. Uh, in New York in the late 70s I went with Pat Conti and uh, he had been recorded by Tricks and he did Jersey Bowl and that was a very good Jersey Bowl I mean you know not that that's well it's a good song yeah yeah I mean he played it very well he played it like you know pretty much like Patton I'm if you had just played the melody and you know and no vocal I'm I don't know if I could but he must have been influenced by Patton because oh, he, he did all Patton's stuff. <laughs> well, he stole Patton's stuff. I don't know if he Not stole, stole it, but you know he was doing. He, it. he brought. I'm sure he saw Patton. Uh, I know he hung around with. Hey, Eden, how are you doing? I know he hung. I know he hung around with Big Joe, and I know Jig, Big Joe played with Patton. Right. Um, and I'm sure that. Uh, but isn't that just a typical thing of all the guys from that era? Like they all wanted to cut each other down, like they were all the yes. best. Yeah. So uh, it seemed to me like from that they all looked up to Patton and loved to cut him down. Or well, like yeah, that. that's true. You have yeah. this like love hate relationship. You admire yeah. the guy because he's he's famous. He's a great guitar. You know, he's great. Right. He was kind of like popular. the king. He was the king, and uh, you know maybe you think, well, I can play. I can do what he's doing. Right. You know, and if you're good enough, you can. But everybody has that, you know, some that part of them where they see someone doing something and going, well, I could do that. Yeah. But the point is, well, he's doing it, you know. Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> you could do that. And But he's not only doing that, but he kind of, like, invented that, too. Well, that's what I mean. I yeah. like, <laughs> Just don't well, feel like it. I mean, but, yeah, but it's like the same thing. Like, you know, I love Pat, and he's my all-time favorite, and I try to play in that style. And I feel like on a good day, sometimes I do a pretty good job uh-huh. with it. But at the same time... You know, there's this thing in my head, you know, what would Patton think? Well, you know, you're just doing his bit, so, you know, yeah. you'll never do it as good as him. I mean, no. It's impossible. You no, know? I know that. You can't, you know, except for, you know, like we both said, there's a couple nights where Honey Boy Edwards came close. You know? Oh, well, Honey Boy Edwards came as close as anybody I had ever seen. I had seen yeah. some people. Uh, First time I saw him, it was the, the 90s. And I, you know, I like had like mixed feelings about seeing him because I figured, you know, he's so old he can't play anymore. Oh, he's, it was eighty. And he was in his eighties. Yeah, and he took like a good ten minutes to, you know, get out to the stage, walking real uh-huh. slow with somebody helping him. You know, the whole time Did I was just like, oh, this Tara is going to be sad. No, the first time I saw him was in Chicago, uh-huh. and that's where he blew me away. And when he finally sat down. And got like situated, and then he started talking a little bit, and I was like, you know, I mean, I was into it because it's Honey Boy Edwards, yeah. but I was like, oh, this is gonna be a little sad. And then he started playing, and like my jaw dropped. I, I couldn't believe what I was hearing, you know. No. It was so good. And then I saw him a couple years later, and he had, was not together at all. And no, I, then I, he was telling stories, but the stories were so great that I, yeah, I enjoyed that. the stories as much as the playing. Yeah, no, when I when I saw him, he was playing a lot of kind of like post-war type stuff. You know, and not doing it terribly well. He's playing bottleneck, and it was not, you know, 
terribly good bottom like he was doing like you know famous post-war songs and not doing them as good as I thought and then he did Screaming and Hollering and I just you know I almost fell down on the ground it was so that's amazing that's exactly the way Such I felt when I heard him it's like and I was I, trying to explain to people I was like you don't understand what just happened in there like that guy played the real thing you know <laughs> I, and people I, are like yeah, yeah he was good I'm like oh Man, no, he's fantastic. Uh, that was just amazing. The hair rose on my head. Me too. Yeah. I mean, my jaw dropped. My stomach, you know, just dropped. It was just, it was like hearing, as far as I was concerned, it was like hearing Charlie Patton or seeing, almost seeing like Charlie yeah, Patton. Yeah, that's what I felt like. Here you the are. Vocal, this of course. Is what it was. The vocal was, you know, it was all the same, it was the same words, and he was, he sang better, but he didn't sound quite like Charlie Patton. But well, nobody so. could do that. Um, yeah, I, I spoke to. St I told Steve called that not long afterward, right. and you know what Steve called said? What do you say? Muscle memory. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we're uh, nearly out of time here, so I'll tell you what. I'm going to play uh, my for the people out there here is talking about Charlie Patton. I'm going to play my High Water Everywhere. Go ahead. And then I want you to play your final record. Okay. Lord, 
blow water and rain Oh, the dead and roll Boy, he's got my claws I'm going back to the hill of country Won't be worth no more Sounded like start my car, but I figure it's got to be got my no, car. No, it's got my car. Uh, Carl said he he thought it was it starts my clothes. I could never make sense of that. It's anything you want it to be. It is with Charlie Patton. It could well be. That's a pretty good record. Yeah. Oh, you want to hear that? Uh, yeah, I want to hear your uh, sloppy Henry with uh, Pegleg Howell and um, Eddie Anthony. And Eddie Anthony backing him up. This is uh, the end of our second show. Everything's high, still going up. Women got these tribes and men compelled to give them up. Man got the money, he's a boss. Women gonna have what they want, they don't care what it costs. You said you're right, partner, but I know you're wrong. Women ain't gonna put up with no one man the way things is going on. Mice a play, cats is away. Having some poor mad man most ever day. I got a long, tall, disconnected mama. She's all right with me. I like the way she stews and cooks my cabbage. Way down in Tennessee. She's long and tall, looks mighty lean. Oh, I'm on this violin, I got a long, tall, disconnected mama, she's all right with me. I got a long, tall, disconnected mama, honey, you all right with me. I like the way you choose and cook my cabbage, way down in Tennessee. She's long and tall and she looks mighty lean. I got good picking in this valley. Got a long, tall, disconnected mama. She's all right with me. Long and tall and she looks mighty lean. I got good picking in this valley. I got a long, tall, disconnected mama. She's all right with me. Well, no, no, that made him mean. I mean, he could drink, you know, other stuff, and I you didn't quite see that. 
Yeah, it's a good. Gotta record. find a copy of that. It used to turn up. It's not super rare. Yeah, I'm gonna put it up, put it on my radar. Yep. Sure, John showed you I just saw, I mean, uh, aside from the band yeah. and and the singing, it's I just gr- love the words. Yeah, no, well, I'll tell you. Uh, oh, this apparently, a lot of the songs in Georgia were known by a lot of performers because this is Washboard Walter and John Bird did this song too. Oh yeah, I don't yeah they did long. They it's very rare. I think there's only one copy, but I had I had a tape of it. It's just exactly the same song. You know, different arrangement, of course, because you know they don't have violin in it, but it's long, tall, disconnected mama. You know, same kind of melody. Yeah. Um, and uh, I thought I would find it, but I never did. In fact, the uh, I found. Let's see, the rarest record I ever found canceling was like a. Oh, cool. The best record I ever found cam- canvassing was Rattlesnake. You canvassed Rattlesnake. Yeah, well, no, I, got, I junked it. Oh. I junked it in Ju- <laughs> July 19th. You didn't hear that story? No, Oh, it's so. my favorite story. Okay. July 1976. Go down to can- you know, to junk and canvas. And there was this one place I stopped because they usually had records, some, you know. And I went in the place. It was a. It's a big. Was a big place. Like you know, two buildings connected. And they had a table. And it was just piled with records. I had never seen so many records of this place before. And I started looking through them, and it was mostly country. And you know, I got. But there were a lot of Orioles. Hmm. And one of the records I got was Boodle, um, Am by Clarence Williams. That was not an Oriole. <coughs> And there were like lots, there were Tanners, there were Raleigh Puckets, you know, there were, were a lot of early Columbias and, and ARCs. I'm going through them and I'm just, you know, kind of whacked out. I'm, and I'm just, you know, trying to, and there were so many records, I was having a hard time, you know, remembering which pile, you know, because you, you get very excited sometimes, especially yes. since the, uh, the owner was in the me. next room and didn't even see me, you know, like going, ah. <laughs> <laughs> And what happens is that uh, I've kind of lost my place, <coughs> and like almost every every pile, or like there were like maybe eight or ten piles, like about this big, and most of them had a red Oriole on top. Huh. Weird. So I mean, there were a lot of Orioles. So I'm wondering, I said, did I look at this pile? And I picked it up like this, and I looked at the record underneath, and I went like this, rattlesnake. Wow. And I almost dropped the pile, but I didn't. I put it down. The best thing is I got... Um, and, and what did those cost you? All right. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to cut I you went, What I else went. you get? Huh? What else? Keep going. Well, I don't... I got a lot... Like, I got Boodle Am uh, by... You know, which was... Clarence Williams. I got a, some um, Tanners and some ARCs and... You know, but that was, that was the record, of course. And um, I got 30 records. I took it to the front, and I said, uh, "I got about thirty records. How about giving me a break?" And she, and she says, "Okay, ten dollars." Wow! 
So that was actually the best thing. Unbelievable. I, I, found, I found three patents. I can't believe you had the nerve to ask for a break when you had that patent in there. But you knew that you, you couldn't sweat. You couldn't show any signs no, of fear. No, no. I forget. I forget. Well, I'm buying, usually I'd come in, I'd buy like maybe two or three records, maybe four for 50 cents a piece. Yeah, but yeah. I had a but, And they knew me. They knew me because I've been coming down there for like for the last four years. Yeah. You know, stopping by every time I went down there. I would have been so nervous. What? I thought you were kind of crazy. Like, well, no. Well, I mean, they're, I, they're a store selling this stuff, so yeah. they probably loved them. But, I mean, I just would have been so nervous. I, I probably would have given away. I had some kind of treasure there. But you know what? There were, there, there's a code How to this story. Well, I'll pay any price. Well, that's the thing. It's like I'd be nervous just letting them handle the records at that no, point. No, I didn't. I just put it in the middle, and I said, How much you want for this? Said, okay, right, right. Here's, here's your $10.33 or whatever it is. You know? Yeah. And I just took the record and put it in a box. And what's the rough condition on that rattlesnake? Oh, it's uh, well, running wild is E minus, and rattlesnake's about B plus, good B plus, plays better. <laughs> uh, but the code is, I never found a good record there again. Really? That was really? A, and like the bank? Yeah, for the boat bank. And the, the for the three or four years previously, I'd always found but, something. But when you find rattlesnake, you just give up and move on. You well, know? I, I didn't. The only other patent I found canvassing was uh, a beat the shit copy of uh, Shake It and Break It and Spoonful. Hmm. And it was so beat I didn't keep it. I sold it to uh, uh, the editor of Living Blues for 15 bucks. It was like about G minus to F plus. You know. It's really tough to listen to those when they're that I know, I know. Between but he was so happy. That was, his, that was his first yeah, his first patent. This was, that was like about 1977 or something, you know, a year later. But, alright, I told you my story about the first time I heard patent. No. Okay. So, Kester had two patents, good patents. I never heard them. And so what happened is that in 1963, Kester went to the Martin Luther King thing at uh, in Washington, D.C. Right. And, uh, March I on would, Washington. Yeah, the March on Washington. So I had to take care of the store for three days. And me and this other guy, Louie. But I was going the day afterwards. I was taking a bus... And going to the science fiction convention, which was in Washington <laughs> D.C. That's pretty funny. So I left Louis. You didn't make you didn't make Martin Luther, but you you you, you had to go see the aliens. Yeah, I went to see. You. So I went to uh, D.C. I took the bus and I got there, and I knew where Kester was staying, and uh, he knew that I was ready coming. You know, so I went to see him, and he said, uh, he said, "Well, let's go see Dick Spotswood." Dick Spotswood, you know, was a was a big collector in those yeah, days. Yeah, of course. Sure. Yeah, he found found a lot of great records. He found the only copy of Preaching the Blues. He found the only copy of Hard Like Railroad Steel, and he had a good collection. He had like about about a thousand blues records at the time, most of which he junked. Now he had several Skip James, which he bought for a dollar at Waxy Maxi. He had two Skip James actually. He had Devil Got My Woman and uh, Hard Time Killing Floor. Ooh. Our time coming for is like E D minus and Devil Got My Wound was like E plus. Uh, and he paid a dollar for him. That was back in the fifties. So anyway, um and I had never heard Patton and I think the first Patton record was out, but I hadn't didn't get it yet. I hadn't gotten it yet. So we went over to Spots' house and we listened to records and I'm looking through his list. He had a mimeograph list of all his records. I said, Oh you got Charlie Patton? I said, Why don't you play it for me? And he says, oh, okay. And uh, 
He had me. He had heart like a real old steel, but he didn't play that side. He played the other side, which is mean black moan. Hmm. Have you ever heard that? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. Well, it's not even in the top forty sides. <laughs> okay. So he played that, and it's a boom chang with Henry Sims. Okay. And it's about a railroad strike in Chicago. Okay, yeah, I remember it. Yeah. All right. And I thought, that's Charlie Patton. What's all the fuss about? Right, right. Yeah. So, and that's that's when P. Vine got away from me, which without even me hearing, I said, I don't need to hear this guy. Wasn't on your radar. Yeah, it wasn't my radar. So I got back, and then, like two months later, I got the Origin, the first Origin album. And it astonished me. It really did. Because it was just so different from everything else. I mean, at that up to that point, I thought Robert Johnson was the be-all and end-all of, of, you know, blues records. Sure. And, uh, oh, I made a mistake. It was 1962 mm. that I met Kester, not 1963. But, so, all right, what happened then, this is kind of interesting. I got the, uh, um... I got the patent record. In January, I got my first patent. 34 Blues. That's a good one. Yeah. In February, I got Jersey Ball. <laughs> uh. And uh, later that year, I got... Uh, oh, I got... Uh, I'm going home, like, about three months later. I like that. Yeah, yeah I know. I, but I traded to Bob Height later on. So at that point, you just thought it would be three patents a year till you had them all. Yeah. I said, this guy is so tough to find. <laughs> <laughs> and then I got, I think I got, I got one other patent. I got a copy of uh, Screaming and Hollering from Nathan Schwartz. I traded him a record. And he got it. And Screaming and ho Hollering was good. But Mississippi Boy Weevil had like heat damage all the way across it. So it was... <laughs> They had a few Every, records like that so, too, just one side. Yeah, so I sent it back, and I said, "Ah, you can have it." And I think I got one more patent that year. Um, no, yeah, that was it. I got three patents like in the first six months, and then the next year I got High Water, the copy that was the first, the, the best copy at the time uh, that was used on the first uh, Yazoo. Um, patent record and I still didn't think he was that tough well you were doing pretty well I was doing I had four patents in like a year and a half you know it's was that it, easy it's that easy yeah I figured well at this rate I'll, I'll have them all you're right I thought but then they came much slower after that and in fact the last patent I got how many patents did you do you have in total or well, if you include Bertha Lee, I think I got eight. Nice. I got. I, I definitely include Bertha Lee. Yeah, I got Bertha Lee. I got Pony. I got um, Dirt Road, High Water, Thirty Four. Poor me. Yeah, thirty. Poor me. Um, Rattlesnake. Ah, you got all great ones. Um, I like that one. A revenue oh, man. Me too. I love it. A lot of and people uh, don't like that. Yeah, I yeah, love that. One. What? Poor me. Poor me. Oh, I yeah. like poor me. It's it's like a it's a slowed down it's dirt really road. Sad. Yeah, but listen, like forget about oh, is the guitar playing up to par on the other? That I don't that is care. a heavy song, man. I don't care. It's that, a beautiful that song. song. Is deep. It's a beautiful song. Beautiful. 
I know, yeah, I know most people disagree uh, with me. Uh, some people do, yeah. I mean, I always liked it. <laughs> um, they just think it's a and effort or something. Well, it was at his last oh. session, and he couldn't play as good. And it's, you know, he's barely playing the guitar. But to me, like, it, it, and, in, and there are other examples where it's not this case. But to me, in that song, it is so understated and so powerful. What he's saying is just so deep. Well, it's a very self-pitying record. But yeah. it's, got, it's got nice lyrics, some nice lyrics. Yeah. Don't the moon look pretty, science Well, yeah, just for I that, I mean, he's, t- he's talking about dying right yeah. there. He's talking about, he's talking about post-death and you know looking down on birth. Well, that's the other side of thirty-four. Heavy. It may bring sorrow. It may bring tears. Let me see a brand new year. Yeah, Lord, oh Lord. Yeah, no, I was like that was the first one I got. You don't have O Death. I had O Death. Oh, I had, I had a B minus copy. Stewart canvassed it in Hollywood, California. I traded him out of it. Henry Vestine, you know who he was? I don't know. Oh, he name. was the lead guitar player for Can He. Oh, okay. And he heard, he found out I heard it, and he said, uh, he says, I got the file copy of Charlie Jordan's Gasoline Blues, new, mint. He says, would you trade uh, poor me for it? I mean, Odeth for it. Now, I liked Odeth, but it was V minus. I said, oh, I need a better copy of that anyway. If I get the child yard, I'll never have to worry about yeah, it. Yeah, well, that's a good trade. Yeah, so I traded it. Of course, I never saw Odeth again. Well, yeah. And the other thing is I never saw Gasoline Blues again. Well, that's why it's a good trade. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I got a mint record that's super I mean, a file rec- copy. Yeah, I good. mean, there's there's about four copies of Odeth, and there's only two copies of uh, Gasoline that I know about. Maybe three. Well, this has been a hell of a show, Don. Mm. I, I can't thank you enough for doing it. Well. And uh, it is to our listening pleasure. Well, and uh, since we since we did some more chimping here, I'll play one more song to take us out. Okay. This is... Uh, oh, this is... You're not still recording. I was... Yeah, I never stopped. Oh, okay. Oh, geez. This is... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I forgot to. This is a bonus. This is a bonus show. Okay. I forgot your story. Uh, so I'm gonna play my Mississippi John Hurt got the blues. Oh yeah, I went, I've had I've had I had two three copies of that. Well, this isn't as clean as your Charlie Jordan file copy. No, but, but I mean, it'll have my, to do. I had three. I had at least two copies. Ones I can. One I canvassed in uh, Amherst County, Virginia. One I bought from Altshuler. They were like V. They were V copies. The the Altshuler copy was like twenty five bucks. Wow. And the uh, copy I found in in Amherst County was a buck but they were both worn and it's one of my favorite John Hurts I used to play that both sides I used to play that real good too we play the other side what's the other side Lewis Collins oh I used to play that too Hurts 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 arrangements aren't real hard they just you just have to get them you gotta get them yeah (laughs) Yeah. once you get them they're easy yeah yeah, they're all subtly different and very unique when when I first started playing got the blues I went back to the record and I heard little things I didn't hear before yeah like, exactly you know like especially like on the G7th part he sometimes varies the little I don't know you know yeah and he's not one of those guys that just does the same thing in each song everything is for that song yeah you know? no no and it's like uh, Wilkins in a way yeah yeah and it's yeah. once you get it it's like okay that's not too bad but it's difficult to get because <sighs> he's not playing licks you know no, well, yeah. I mean, he's got an arrangement. Oh yeah, he's got an arrangement that he has little changes in it. Very, they're. I think they're very neat when you find them. When you find them out, they're not real obvious. I used to talk to Stewart, and I said, "Well, he does. He just all he does is just play, you know, 
And and Stewart says, no, no. He 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 plays, you know, there's subtleties in there. And oh, I yeah. listened to this again because this was my favorite hurt just about. And I said, by God, he he's uh, he's absolutely right. There are things that I didn't know when I learned how to play it. I mean, For me too. I learned all these like three or four times. Yeah. Every time you think you got it, you hear something you're missing. Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, our hero, Don Kent. Thank <laughs> you, buddy. Got the blues, can't be satisfied. Got the blues, can't be satisfied. Keep the blues, I'll catch the train and ride. Whiskey Street will drive the blues away. Whiskey Street will drive the blues away. That be the case, I won't support today. Bought my gal a great big diamond ring. Bought my gal a great big diamond ring. Come right back home and call her shaking that thing. I said, baby, why make you act this way? I said, baby, why did you act this way? That I won't miss anything she gives away Took my gun and I broke the bell down Took my gun, broke the bell down Put my baby six feet under the ground I cut that joker so long deep and wide Cut that joker so long deep and wide You got the blues and still ain't satisfied. 